Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. He looks determined without being ruthless. Something heroic in his man. There's a courage about it. Doesn't look like a killer. Comes across so calm. Acts like he has a dream. Full of passion. You don't trust me, huh? Well, you know why. I do. We're not supposed to trust anyone in our profession anyway. Peace, 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 and welcome to The Rematch, which is part of the BasketballNews.com podcast network. On the rematch, you'll hear in-depth interviews with notable names from all walks of life. Because sometimes the media just doesn't get it right. The rematch is that second opportunity to clarify, put things in proper context, correct fake news or misreported controversy. The media still exists as the most powerful entity on earth because they control the minds of the masses. I'm Atan Thomas. And the full truth is what we are aiming to catch. Many media stories omit details that would dilute their clickbait roar. And that's why there's a need for the rematch. On this episode, I spoke with Howard University's men's head basketball coach, Kenneth Blakeney. We discussed his style of coaching and where he wants to take the program. In the wake of allegations against Wichita State's head coach, Greg Marshall, we also expressed our disdain for abusive college head coaches, in particular, white college head coaches dealing with black players. This was a great discussion. Hope you enjoy. Coach Kenny Blakeney, how are you doing, sir? What's up, Eton? What's going on, man? How are you? Oh, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Thanks for taking the time to uh, come on the rematch um, on basketballnews.com. You know, first of all, I have to ask you, how's your family, your health, um, you know, how are university players? That's the first question you have to ask now in these COVID times. So how's everybody's health? No, I appreciate you asking, man. Uh, everyone's well. You know, I, families together. Uh, we've kind of been in our own little bubble, uh, making sure we take care of one another. And uh, our players have been back for about six weeks now, and uh, they're doing well, man. Everything's been great on their end. Uh, they're being very, I think, diligent with, uh, with quarantining and uh, responsible with, uh, you know, staying away from others and just kind of focusing on in on the things that are important to them right now, and that's their school and, and basketball. I told them the other thing they can throw in there is uh, – is their PlayStation game, man, <laughs> or whatever these guys play these days. Right. 
you know, and what what is the testing process that you have? Because that's the story with all because everybody, you know, I thought that everybody was on the same program, the same t- like one universal program for all schools, all, you know, I guess that makes too much sense. But but what, what is the program um, that Howard has? Well, that's, that's a great question. I, I just got back from getting my test. Um, we are currently on a three day a week testing schedule. Okay. Um, and I think, uh, you know, the test that we're doing is the nasal swab test right now, which percentage wise is the most accurate test. Um, so we're taking it very serious. And our uh, president, Dr. Wayne Frederick, and our athletic director, uh, Mr. Kerry Davis, have uh, done a lot for us to get to this point where we are giving ourselves the best chance to compete this year. That's great. That's great. That's great to hear because you always want to be able to keep uh, the players and the athletes safe. And, you know, we see what's happening in the NFL. We see the catastrophes happening in baseball. And, you know, we just want to be able to keep them safe. All right. So I want to talk about you. I want to go back a little bit. Um, You're a native Washingtonian, um, grew up right here in D.C. And you played ball for the uh, Boys and Girls Club when you were younger. You know, um, when, when did you fall in love with basketball? That's that's a funny story. Um, I started playing organized basketball when I was eight. And uh, I think my first year, I, I, you know, I just kind of played just watching my older brothers and cousins play. Uh, but my the next year at the age of nine, uh, we were playing in a game against, uh, I think, number 10 Boys and Girls Club, which was located on 14th Street and ran at that point in time by uh, Mr. Ed Hill, who was a longtime uh, sports information director at Howard University. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a sudden uh, sudden death overtime game. Uh, I caught the ball in the corner, and I had my back turned to the basket. I just turned around and threw it, uh-huh. not knowing what I was doing, and the ball went in. Okay. It was the shot that won the game. Ah. So I – didn't realize at the time everybody came over and was jumping up and down on me and like celebrating. Uh-huh. I was this nine-year-old kid that has never made a basket in a game. That was like, <laughs> this is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and that was the turn. That was uh, the thing that really, I think made me love basketball and also love the process. Um, uh-huh. As you know, Ethan, it's a journey and it's a process and it's a right. grind. Right. And uh, from that point on, I, I literally just would go to the court every day and, shoot layups and learn to make layups and learn to dribble. And, you know, from layups, I would just pull up for a three-foot shot. Okay. Uh, full court, right hand all the way down, shoot the shot, go left hand all the way down, shoot the shot. And, right. And I would pull up from a seven-footer. So it was just a process of understanding uh, and learning the fundamentals at that point in time. Got you. Got you. Now, did you see the um, documentary Basketball County uh, in the water? And I, I am guilty. I did not. Oh, you didn't see it. You got to watch it. It was it, it produced by Kevin Durant, um, showcased Prince George's County, um, current players like Victor Oladipo and Michael Beasley and Quinn Cook and Markel Fultz and Jeremy Grant. It just showed the whole history of, of the county. But you lived it, though. So even though you haven't seen it, you know, you've been busy, but you, you've actually lived it. And, you know, one of the things that it told was the history of Prince George's County. Um, and as a you know Washingtonian, you're aware of that history and you're aware of that culture. So what does that mean for you in that sense to then be a part of that history, being part of Howard University? 
Well, it, it, it's, it's truly, um, I think, unique to probably have a perspective on it that goes back maybe 40 years, to be honest with you. Um, and we're talking about when D.C. started to get gentrified. Right. Um, you know, if you look at the early 80s and uh, the late 80s, um, you know, the real estate boom actually probably started right around there. Didn't start with a lot of money, but it started with houses increasing their home values. Uh, the D.C. residents uh, and the black residents of D.C. Um, taking uh, advantage of the increase in prices of their homes, moving to Prince George's County where they could save money, but have a little bit better of a quality of life with a larger home, uh, a yard, uh, maybe a fence. Right. <laughs> At that time, you know, a little bit more safety. Right. Uh, PG County wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't D.C. at that time. Mm -hmm. And a lot of those African-American families uh, that um, have been there for the last 20 and 30 years are probably the product of, you know, original Washingtonians. Uh, so it's kind of neat to kind of see that story uh, evolve. And it, it, I think, you know, for me, it was, you know, that's why I think Howard University can be a great basketball program. Um, you know, as you mentioned, all those names and, you know, Quinn Cook, you know, was on that stage last night receiving a, uh, you know, with the championship trophy with the Lakers and right. the guy, uh, Duke guy. Um, you know, there's been more Division One players in the Washington, D.C. area uh, and more NBA players in the last 15 years uh, than any other area in the country. So I think it's it's something that we really have to take a look at. Um, for me, I understand if that's the if that's kind of the, the facts that we're looking at, that means there's some incredible high school coaching going on, mm -hmm. uh, there's some, some incredible grassroots coaching going on, and there's guys that are player development guys that are doing a terrific job. Um, so I want to keep our local guys home. Uh, when I got to Jobby Town, we had one player from the DMV on our team. Mm. And, uh, over the last year, we were able to bring in 10 guys. So we wow. have a total, total of 10 guys from the DMV on our team right now. You know, that's interesting because, and, and I'll get to that in a little while, but you, you, you've you coached under some great coaches. And one of the things that, um, you know, Coach from Notre Dame, Coach, Coach Brea, um, he would always talk about the culture of creating a culture of Indiana players. And he wanted to develop that culture. And what you just said about creating that culture from players from the DMV, is that something that you definitely want to do um, at Howard University? 100%. And that's something I, I learned from Coach Bray. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when I worked with him at the University of Delaware, I was uh, my second year as an assistant uh, full-time uh, coach. You know, he would talk about developing a culture and going to places like Indiana, uh, going to places that like North Carolina, going to places like New York or Chicago, where the culture of basketball was created. You don't have to, you don't have to coach effort. You don't have to coach toughness. You don't have right. to, uh, you know, a lot of the things that you may have to coach uh, where areas that have don't don't have as much culture um, or or history of tradition. Um, so knowing that DNA really is important. Definitely. You know, now let's go back a little bit more because you're a product of DeMatha, uh, two sport athlete, play football and basketball. And um, you actually went there to play football. Um, <laughs> talk, talk, tell me about that story. Um, you've done your homework, huh? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's what we do here on a rematch. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you. Um, yeah. Uh, there was a gentleman named Mike Anderson who was a two-sport athlete um, at DeMatha. He was uh, probably the player of the year in football. 
mm-hmm. uh, and uh, was a really good guard on the basketball team for Coach Wooten. Uh, ended up going to the University of Maryland playing football and basketball there. Um, but his dad, uh, rest his soul, Norm uh, Anderson, was a very close friend uh, to a gentleman that ran our rec creation center in our area. Um, his name was Fluff Parker. Okay. And uh, so Norm would come over during the spring uh, when we had football because uh, he loved football. He was a former football player and uh, would observe us playing. And I was a you know tall, lanky uh, quarterback that could throw a little bit. Um, and you know, he was like, you need to go to DeMatha to play football, not knowing that I even played basketball. (laughs) So I actually actually went to DeMatha to play quarterback. And then when I got there, um, you know, they, they had been grooming a young man, uh, that had came up through the CYO, uh, PG County system. Uh, I, uh, I moved to tailback and wide receiver, but at that point I was like six, three, six, four. I was like, yeah, right. Let me, let me let me try to concentrate. I kept playing football, but I was like, let me concentrate on basketball a little bit more. Right, right, right. But they didn't discourage. So it's interesting because the math is one of the programs that don't discourage um, athletes from being two sport athletes. And, you know, that, there's been a shift. You know, when I was growing up, half of our basketball team played football. You know what I mean? It's, it's, that's just what it was. But now you're seeing that a little bit different. Where, where do you stand on two sport athletes? I love two-sport athletes, um, especially if they're football, basketball athletes, because you know that they have a little bit of toughness with them and they have some competitiveness with them. Right. Uh, prime, the prime example is uh, Allen Iverson. You know, mm-hmm. Chuck is, is as tough as they as tough as they come. Right. Uh, and he was a, a high school two-sport athlete and probably could have done it on the collegiate level. Right. Definitely. Definitely. Now, you went from DeMatha, you went to Duke, uh, played under Coach K. What did you learn um, your experience at Duke University? Uh, a lot. I learned a lot. It was a, uh, you know, I, I went there each time because I wanted to win. Um, I came from a culture, I grew up in a culture of winning uh, from Boys and Girls Club, uh, starting at the 10 and under level, um, all the way up to, you know, being at the math and being part of some championship teams there. Um, so I've always prioritized winning. And I, I, I remember my cousin calling me, he was at a, uh, a junior college mm-hmm. um, in Oklahoma wanted to recruit him and me. Uh, and he was just like, hey, man, come on down to Oklahoma. It'd be great. And I, I just remember that conversation very clearly like it was today. It's just like, dude, I want to go win a national championship. Um, and so, you know, I, I when I was thinking about, you know, my decision to go to Duke, it was about education um, because I'm one of the first in my family to get a college degree. Okay. Uh, and I wanted to prioritize that uh, specifically and make that almost like a legacy with my family. Um, and then the second thing I wanted to win. Um, so, you know, Coach K is uh, Coach K is is probably one of the most competitive people that you can be around, um, which I love. I absolutely love it um, and intense, um, you know, and he really uh, the only thing that he, he you know, after, uh, you know, mentoring and grooming young men to become men mm-hmm. uh, and become leaders. Um, you know, he wants, he wants to win. Um, so it was a great run down there. We had some incredible teammates. I was fortunate enough to play with three guys that were top 50 players in the history of the game with Grant Hill, Bobby Hurley, and Christian Leitner mm-hmm. um, was part of two national championships. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a third final four. So, um, you know, I, I wouldn't change my decision for anything. You, know, you, you mentioned that he 
uh, put an emphasis on grooming young men to become men. And um, you talked about the, you know, Coach Bray that, that you know, creating the culture, um, you know, at Howard. You take a little bit of each coach and kind of apply it to your coaching style? A hundred percent. Yeah, I, I really do. Um, because for me, you know, being a black man and we're, you know, I'm at a historically black college and university, mm -hmm. um, you know, I want to see our young men be able to go through life um, and grow. Um, so they are prepared uh, young men that become men that become family men. Um, and then they can spend the next 40 to 50 to 60 years of their lives uh, serving, leading and giving back, um, and which is really important for me. Um, you know, I've always been a guy that has tried to, you know, do those things and prioritize those things uh, to the best of my ability. And, uh, you know, family and, and, and my faith is really important as well. Um, so I, I'm really big on um, developing holistically um, young men so they can be as whole as possible when they leave me um, and go out into the real world. And, and that's really the way that it should be. You know, I'm, I, I don't coach on your level, but I coach my, my son's AAU team, um, FBCG Dynamic Disciples. Got the shirt on right here on this side, uh, right here in PG County. And, you know, it's really the way that I was coached growing up, um, you know, with my AAU team, uh, my coach, Reverend Potter, he taught us about life. Like AAU, the basketball part was important and we got better and everything like that. But it was really to prepare us to be men, especially black men you know, in this world. And what is it about, you know, your coaching style? Because I've, I've read this about you and it's one of the things that I admired the most about you. We're, we're in an environment now where at a lot of different PWIs, that just doesn't happen. You know, it, it just doesn't. You're you're an employee, employee number three, employee number four, you're, you look to produce and, you know, if you can graduate, then that's that's great, but just stay eligible to play. That's really the the, the method, but you take a completely different approach with your players. Yeah, I, I, before every practice, I read a poem or I read uh, a quote. And uh, that's how we start every practice. I want our guys to have, you know, intellectual thoughts and intellectual conversations, uh, not just off the court, but on the court. And uh, we go through that quote, we go through that poem, and then I ask the guys, what does it mean? And, you know, we live in a, we live in a culture and society sometimes where young men don't want to speak up. Right. So, I go around to each one of them and, hey, you know, McCord, what does this mean? You know, mm -hmm. Jell, what does this mean? Wayne Briscoe Jr., what does this mean? Steve Settle, what does this mean? Mm -hmm. um, and I, I want our guys, I want them to understand and to recognize that they have a voice. Um, and not that there's a right or wrong answer to any of this stuff, but just for them to be comfortable enough to start as a man speaking up uh, and, and being comfortable with their, with their voice. Um, you know, I, I just think that it's, uh, Eton, I think that like, you know, I, want to, I want to coach, um, young men how, um, you know, I, I a couple things. I, I want them to be as whole. And what I mean by whole is like, I, I don't want them to, to be mentally broken when they leave me. Mm. I want them to be as strong and as mentally, uh, you know, all there that makes sense. Yeah. Want to leave me as when they when they came or or even stronger, um, and then I I, I want to treat young men as if you know I'm coaching my own kid, right? Um, and that means a whole lot. Um, do I have to coach guys hard sometimes? Yeah, I do. Mm -hmm. but I try to do it in the most respectful way, 
Mm-hmm. Um, if I ever come across or, or cross a line, I will apologize and be the first person to apologize. Um, but I, I want to, you know, I, I want to coach guys in a way where um, where it's respectful. And and that's you know it's interesting that you say that. I was just reading this story about um, Wichita State head coach uh, Greg Marshall. I don't know if you read this story, but um, the allegations that are there, and I got to say allegations, but it was corroborated with most of the players, the assistant coaches, and everything. But they were really, I mean, racially berating them, Bobby Knight style, just you know what I mean, tearing them down. You know, I remember, I remember at the USA trials. Um, sitting there with Luke Recker and the late Jason Collins and listen to them for an hour and a half, just tell Bobby Knight stories. And I'm like, wow, like that's, but, but that happens a lot more than people think. Um, And I have such a big, that it bothers me. Um, You know, to be quite honest, white coaches abusing black players in that way really bothers me and that's why i can really appreciate a coach like you coming with your mindset and your mind frame of you know wanting to of course be a disciplinarian but teaching them and actually that you care about them do you know what i mean so is is that something that how how did you embrace that fully like even going back to coach wooden like how and and coach wooden was, was a white man but everything that i've heard of him was that type of style? Did you did you learn of that line of that from uh, playing under Coach Wooten? Yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent. And Coach Wooten and Coach Wooden were were very close. Um, and, and then, kind of, you know, going through my journey, playing in different leagues, whatever that may be, I, I just think that you know, you you hit upon a point, and, and you know, maybe some people want to hear this, maybe some people don't. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't think white men should be yelling at black kids. I agree. Um, because we have a history that uh, goes back to some things that are uh, traumatic with that. Yes. And uh, I, I do have an issue with that, to be honest with you. Um, so I, I, I think I take a lot of things into account when I'm trying to mentor and lead young men um, and help young men grow. Um, there's, a, there's a great book by Malcolm Gladwell mm-hmm. uh, called The Outlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that book is something that I really use um, and kind of my research and becoming a coach and how to um, nurture young men, uh, nurture people, but also how to how to help people take steps to become from good to great. Um, so I, I kind of do my research I, and I see things that I like or things that I dislike, don't like. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, I just want I want I want these young men to understand that they don't have to be uh, they don't have to feel any less of a person. Um, to do what they, what somebody is asking them to do. Right. I agree a hundred percent. I mean, and I just, you know, again, I'm coaching younger kids. Um, but I, you know, my, my son always tells me that he tells me I'm like coach Carter without the cursing, (laughs) uh, you know what I mean? So I'm, I'm a disciplinarian. I stay on them. I hold them to a certain, you know, hold them accountable both on and off the floor. You know, it's not like anything can happen off the floor and you'd be okay to play. Like, that's not how we do. Um, but then I also care about them. I encourage them. I want to know what's going on in their lives. I could be that 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 father figure that, as we know, a lot of black men need, um, you know, especially young black men that they see in their in their coaches. And, you know, I, I mean, I, I take them to to um, panel discussions, to debates. We actually went to we had a 
Michael Eric Dyson and uh, Bill Roden. We had a great debate right on Howard University's campus, and a lot of the athletes were there. Um, and it was it was great to see, and it was great for them to see. But just caring about them more than just what they can do on the basketball court, and that's what I see in you. I, I, I read about your um, what is it uh, Wednesdays? Uh, what do you what do you do on Wednesdays? Like we have, when we all vote Wednesdays. When we all vote Wednesdays. Yeah. Tell me about that. Well, we were the first group to reach out to uh, When We All Vote, which is a uh, nonpartisan voter registration group that mm -hmm. is uh, co-chaired by M Michelle Obama, Chris Paul, Megan Rapino, and others. Um, and what we wanted to do is we wanted to, you know, this is an important period in our, in our country. And uh, as a team, I wanted them, uh, you know, I, I talked about serving, leading, and giving back. And this is a part of our social and civic responsibility as U.S. citizens to uh, to be, you know, uh, to reach out to bring awareness to uh, the election, bring awareness to voting and try to register young men and women to vote. Um, you know, there's a demographic of between about 18 to about maybe 27, 28 that of black men that don't vote. Mm. And uh, our young men have a platform where they have a demographic that is kind of close near that that range, that age range. Uh, that they can use their social media platform to register people to vote. So that's one of the things that we've done. Uh, we have another, uh, several other uh, initiatives that we've kind of implemented over the last six to seven months with our program. I think that's great. Okay, and talk about about the speaker series that you also have with your players. Yeah. Uh, I think all this is great. So, I mean, I wish this is like the way that each program should be, everything that you have in your program. So I just wanted to, First of all, congratulate you for what you're we're doing and say much respect. But uh, talk about talk about the speakers uh, bureau that you have. Well, we were we were supposed to come to yours uh, your your event when you spoke with uh, Michael Eric Dyson and right. and Mr. Roden, but we were out of town. You're out of town, right? Right, right. right. right and we looked at it. Um, the speakers theory started um, after something that one of my mentors, Coach Tommy Amaker, uh, has done at Harvard with the Breakfast Club. And what he's done is he's taken the most influential, started with uh, a group of black men and taken the most influential group of black men that, uh, that he uh, had in the circle uh, in the Harvard community and at Cambridge and Boston community and started a, a, almost like almost a think tank once a week, uh, once a month, excuse me, that they would get together, have breakfast and just discuss different topics and different ideas. And uh, I think it was almost like a... Uh, for him, it was a great network of people that he could bounce ideas off that understood the Harvard community uh, that were there and that was uh, that could kind of give him a little bit more knowledge when he first got to Harvard. And uh, we were going to start that in year two. And with COVID and not having our guys on campus and with them having so much ample time, I really felt that we needed to do some things that could engage them, uh, you know, mentally. Um, so we started the speaker series and what the speaker series uh, is for us is we've gotten, I think we're about 23 to 25 speakers and uh, since COVID began and there's, they've been some of the most powerful, uh, you know, business leaders, entrepreneurs, uh, think leaders, um, just, you know, people that we've had a chance to engage with and have conversations with about COVID, uh, about the social unrest about Black Lives Matter, about George Floyd, um, and you know, for our student athletes to have these conversations with people like Xavier Williams, who 
at the time was at AT&T, just took a job as a CEO of uh, one of the leading cloud uh, companies, computer companies in the country. But Xavier was the highest ranking black at AT&T. Um, to have conversations with him, with Hugh Gaston, who's one of the most uh, sought after thought leaders in marketing, um, to have Grant Hill, um, to have Bill Roden, um, to have so many people that we've uh, had, had a chance to come and be a part of our speaker series. And for our players, not only to you know exchange thoughts, but also pick up uh, mentors. Um, you know, Paxton Baker is one of the minority owners of the, the uh, Washington National. You know, all of these guys and women that have been a part of this have given their emails, their cell phone numbers, and said stay in contact. Um, so for our guys, that's been huge. I think that's great. I, I think that's fantastic. So, so let's switch gears a little bit, and I want to talk about um, the recruiting process now. And you know, there's a wave of top um, five-star recruits, four-star recruits now looking to Howard University, now looking to HBCUs as a as a whole. Um, you all, of course, got Maker Maker. Um, there's other recruits that I know you can't talk about now because of recruiting violations. I know about the violations, but just talk about this wave of new interest now from the top players in coming to HBCUs as a whole. Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, we were recruiting two five-star kids at the beginning of, uh, of last year when I got the job. Um, you know, and uh, those relationships were things that we had already established and we were moving forward with. Um, we had two of those young men, one was the poor maker, uh, who ended up with us at uh, Howard, and the other gentleman was Josh Christopher that ended up at Arizona State. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, for me, it was, it's, you know, you, in recruiting, it's about relationships. It's about fit and feel. Um, it's, a, it's about knowing, uh, getting to know that young man and having that young man get to know you. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of guys that want us to recruit them or offer them. Um, just so they can say that they have a Howard or an HBCU offer. Oh. You know, we've actually pulled back in time, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. And we're trying to be more selective because um, mm -hmm. we don't want young men uh, to use this platform and this opportunity as an opportunity for them to uh, increase their social media numbers or, um, you know, to act like it, it. We take it very seriously. We have some incredible history and tradition with our, our university. We're one of the top 80 universities in the country. Mm -hmm. um, we have uh, Senator Harris, who's running for vice president with on the Joe Biden ticket. Right. Um, so I, I want to I want to protect that as much as possible. Okay. And, uh, you know, with some of these guys that we're recruiting, um, you know, some do have some sincere interest. Mm -hmm. um, and there are some guys that have reached out to us that are five-star guys that are top 10 guys that, um, you know, want to know more about our university and uh, would love for us to present uh, our university to them and see if it's something that may be a fit for them. Um, but, you know, in terms of guys that may just want to have an HBCU offer, um, you know, we're not in the business for that, uh, at least at Howard, we're not. So what are the things that are different when you go? Because, you know, I, I remember being recruited and, you know, you have the different uh, schools come to your house and a lot of times they make um, promises that for me, for me and my mother, you know, my mother turned us off immediately. Um, certain promises because that's not what we were interested in. And, you know, then others have, you know, of course, they tout the exposure and they tout, tout the facilities and things of that nature. And those are two items that have 
constantly come up um, with players as their hesitancy of going towards HBCUs, exposure and facilities. Um, how do you see that that changing? Well, I mean, for us, we don't even we entertain that conversation because, yeah, that the arms race, as we call it, is real. Um, but what we really like to present to the families and student athletes is that, um, you know, Kamala Harris, um, you know, running for vice president, Thurgood Marshall, the first black Supreme Court justice, Andrew Young, uh, the first U.S. ambassador, um, you know, uh, David Dinkins, the first mayor, black mayor of New York, uh, Governor Wilder, the first black mayor, uh, governor of, of Virginia. You know, Elijah Cummings, the first speaker pro tempo. Like those are the things. Uh, Mary Ann Shad Carey, the first black to cast a vote in, in any major election. Uh, those are the things that we like to present to student athletes. Um, you know, the, 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 the stuff with facilities and things like that, we get it. We understand it. Um, you know, we're working right now on uh, a new practice gym, uh, which will be um, ready in August of 21. Uh, our, our, our basketball offices will get renovated. They'll be ready August of 21 in our locker rooms. So we understand that young men want to have some of those things and they don't want to compromise uh, or take a discount on uh, some of the, I guess, the ancillary things that other universities may have. Um, at the end of the day, we're presenting our history, our tradition, our culture to student athletes and our staff that they'll get our, you know, our full mind, body and soul. Uh, to help them become better people and better basketball players. What can you tell them about exposure? You know, I, I, as I hear that come up and I, I like take somebody like Zion, I think that wherever he went, that's where the, the attention would go. Like he could have been playing in his backyard and you know what I mean? That's where it would have gone. Um, but, but for other players, the, the exposure is a, is a concern, but I guess the, the more you win, the more productive you are, the more exposure you get. I always use the example of the year before the Fab Five went to Michigan, um, they weren't on TV much. <laughs> That's just the, you know, they talk about it in the book. And then afterwards, when they got there and they achieved all this success, then you saw a whole lot more TV games. And that's just how it happens. Is, is that pretty accurate? No, that's that's completely accurate. And and just to uh, you know, I'll, I'll take McCormaker for instance. Uh, since he committed to us on July third, um, he's gotten over one billion with a B, one billion uh, social media impressions, oh, wow. uh, which equates to about four and a half million dollars in marketing exposure for him. Um, his draft status has gone up uh, from him being a you know mid to second round or not getting drafted to now being one of the top probably 15 draft picks without even playing a game. Wow. Um, you know, so it's, it's, we talk about branding, we talk about marketing, we talk about separating and, and uh, you know, a lot in our presentations with our student athletes. And with him, um, you know, understanding our brand as a University of Howard, mm -hmm. uh, with him understanding our history and culture and tradition, um, and also trusting the fact that the things that we were presenting to him were, were true and accurate. Um, his story has not been a, just a, a sports story. Um, if you look at any of the social media stuff, when young men maybe go to a power five school and they commit, their stories may be like a 12 to 24 hour kind of uh, story on social media. Right. Four Makers has been going rampant since July 3rd. Right. Um, and it's gonna continue to go that way. He's been interviewed by 
CNN, Good Morning America, The Today Show, Wall Street Journal, New York Times. We're not even talking about you know sports publications right now. Mm-hmm. So his story has been a new story, um, which transcends him in a way that other athletes aren't aren't being uh, you know thought about or um, you know positioned. To be honest with you. That's great. Now, where do you want to take the program as a whole? Um, you know, we talk about playing outside of conference. I, I was reading where I think Notre Dame was going to play or, it's, um, you know, scheduled to play. I think this was pre-COVID. Um, you know, of course, COVID changes everything. But where do you want to take the program um, as a whole? Yeah, the Notre Dame game is still on. Okay. Uh, it's going to be on Martin Luther King Day. Uh, I think it's one eighteen. Um, and two days before the inauguration, so DC is going to be incredible. And it'll be at, wow. yeah, it'll be at Burr on campus. Um, and, and just real quick, Eton, I think it's really important for PWIs and Power Five schools to play HBCUs and come on, come on campuses um, because you know those teams comprise of sixty to seventy percent of African American student athletes. Uh, a lot of them have never been on an HBCU campus. A lot of them don't know the history and tradition and the culture of HBCUs. So. To bring uh, Mike Gray understanding that, knowing that, uh, wanting to bring his team here to give them uh, some life and educational lessons, uh, kudos to him. Um, just in terms of taking the program, uh, you know, I, I think we can be a program and with our brand uh, that can be like a Gonzaga, that can be like a Butler before they were in the Big East. They were in the, in the Horizon League and went to two Final Fours. Uh, we can be a St. Mary's. We can be a San Diego State, which means that we can be a mid-major team that is playing at a high major level and recruiting high major kids. Um, you know, but we want to, like I said, identify the right kids to be in our program. Uh, so that's what I think the future of Howard basketball could be. And that's where, you know, my mindset is. And uh, I hope we're working towards doing that. And just to be all the way clear, because um, a lot of high school players are going to are going to see this interview, especially here in the DMV, um, lay out the, the, you know, the format of exactly what the right kid is that you would be interested um to play for howard university yeah I, I just think that you know it's it's for me we we were going through last year which we were 429 um in our first year when i got the job we had 50 players excuse me 50 points uh from the program either graduate or transfer before i got hired i was the second to last hire in the country last year and uh we would my staff would joke with me because we would get to the 16 minute timeout in the first half and i would start talking about recruiting and mm. that I talked about, excuse me, in recruiting is that we need a character and that we need a toughness and we need a basketball IQ. Um, so those three things for me are, are things that are kind of like um, very important. Um, obviously, you know, we, we Howard being a top 80 school, um, we're very selective with the students that we bring in. Um, you know, we are a school of about 10,000, about 6,200 or 6,400 in undergrad, and the rest is in grad school and med school. Um, so we want our students to understand, I think, what Howard is about and before they, um, before they get here. And uh, it's about black excellence. It's about high achieving, uh, high achievement. It's about uh, our students walk on this campus and they want to be great. Um, they're trying to be the next you know, Elijah Cummings or the next Andrew Young or the next, you know, Puff Daddy or the next Chadwick Boseman. Uh, so, uh, you know, that's that mentality of a, a student that, that that's on this campus. And we talk about with our student athletes that, you know, the greatest chance to change the world is between Howard University and U.S. Congress. 
Um, we have more alum going to U.S. on Capitol Hill than any other school in the country. And we want our student athletes, at least our basketball players, to uh, to want to have a, a voice, to want to be a, 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 a person of, of changing things, to want to have an, an impact on society, not only locally, but if they can do it globally, globally. Um, a core maker, just for, for an instance, um, you know, has been invited to sit in on, um, you know, the, the National Resilience and, and Heat Alliance. Um, mm -hmm. He's interested in reusable energy for his country back home and uh, wants to learn more. So, you know, a Rock, a Rockefeller Foundation reached out and uh, was very interested in hearing his story and invited him to sit in on some Zoom calls uh, so he can get, you know, more information and more education on those kind of things. So that's what the Howard, uh, that's what Howard brings to our students uh, and not only you know, our students, but if they're they're serious in the, as, as student athletes about those areas, we can position our student athletes uh, with the right mentors, with the right, in the right conversations, in the right rooms uh, to be able to go out and uh, have a greater impact than just being a student athlete. That's great, coach. That's great. Well, you know, much respect to everything that you're doing there. I wish you nothing but success. And uh, again, I, I really mean it. The, the values that you're instilling in players and your entire coaching philosophy is something that I wish a lot more coaches would have. Howard is, is very lucky and blessed to be able to have you there as a coach, um, you know, instilling these principles in, in players. Because like I said, it's not done everywhere. You know what I mean? Everywhere it's treated like you're player number three, player number four, and then that's it. So I, I, I really appreciate that. So much respect to everything that you're doing. Stay safe. And uh, thanks for coming on the rematch. Thank you, Eton. I appreciate it, man. I've always been a big fan of yours, even when you're at the Cuse and to see the things that you're doing now, man, uh, giving back and, uh, you know, speaking up for, for justice and equality and, and our people is amazing. So thank you so much. All right. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. All right. Bless and stay safe. Yes, sir. Take care. Thank you for listening to The Rematch. You can find more episodes on basketballnews.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review. You can also find my articles on basketballnews.com along with exclusive content from Kenyon Martin, Vinny Del Negro, James Posey, and more. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Thomas 36 Let me know what you thought of this episode and who you'd like to see as a guest. I would love your feedback.